0: The Joy FM Sports presents The Sweet Spot with Corey Bradley. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our new show. We're glad to have this opportunity to just be a blessing and bring some sports, but also kind of serve in, in, in ministry as well. Russ off the top man I just want to thank you for all that you do. You know you're amazing and, and I just truly appreciate your expertise and knowledge and don't know what we do here at Joy of Him without you so we're glad to have you a part of the team. Man. Well, I, I just like being in the presence of greatness. <laughs> hey so that means the Holy Spirit is here with us right? Okay. That's, that's what it is. That's, it's not me. It's not me at all but uh, you know so we have a lot of show a lot of sports content to get into the day. The NBA season is kicked off this week. Uh, Regular season is is here upon us. We have college football. There's some big games on tap this weekend as some of uh, you guys in the SEC in the South that we know one in particular that's going to be played at 2.30. But we actually have to start off with the World Series. It's the fall classic. This is this is it. This is why we, we watch all year and why the players train and practice all season is for this moment. You know, we have the Washington Nationals. You have the Houston Astros. These are two teams with a very similar mindset. They both have a grinded out gritty mentality when they're playing the game. Uh, It's Actually, it's never over when these two teams are playing. You never know if they're going to come back and win, uh, are they going to come back from a deficit. I mean, we've seen it with the Washington Nationals as they're gotten to the playoffs as a wild card team. And Milwaukee Brewers, they came back and scored three runs in the bottom of the eighth to beat Milwaukee against Josh Hader, which is one of the best relief pitchers in the game. And the Nationals' advanced to the NLDS took on the Los Angeles Dodgers, who most in the media predicted that the Dodgers would win the NL pennant and be playing in the World Series right now, which they're not because the Washington Nationals took him out in five games, uh, took him all the way to that five games and beat him in L.A. on Howie Kendrick's uh, Grand Slam in the 10th inning. And then the Nationals continued to carry on that run and swept the Cardinals in four games in the NLCS. As far as the Astros go, they led the the league in the most wins with 107, only lost 55 games all season, but they had a little battle in the ALCS against the Yankees. We've seen Carlos Correa with a walk-off home run in game two. We've seen Jose Altuve with a two-run walk-off homer in the ninth to beat the Yankees. To clinch the AL pennant against Aroldis Chapman. Chapman's one of the best closers in the game, and so that was just a blast, and it was pretty cool to see Altuve and exciting as he, as he celebrated with his team. And if he, I don't know if you've seen the replay, but when he's approaching home plate, he's holding on to his jersey because he talked about how his wife doesn't like when his teammates rip up his jersey in celebration. So uh, these are two teams with a very like mindset. They, they're grinded out, they're gritty, they never quit actually then Washington Nationals their mantra is stay in the fight and I think uh, that kind of they they've showed that this year and that's something we can carry on in our lives as well as stay in the fight i know we have moments where things aren't going our way and we want to quit and cave in and you know just things just continue to fall apart but i'm telling you stay in the fight days will get better Uh, we all have our trials and tribulations we're not immune to any uh bumps in the road but just always remember stay in the fight don't quit don't cave in i promise you it will get better so, with the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros, they have some similarities. Well, along with that, men, that that mindset that I just mentioned, their lineups are impeccable. I mean, Houston has a tough lineup, one through nine, with starting with Springer and Altuve off the top. So, think about that. You, you're starting as a pitcher, and you have to go through Springer and Altuve as soon as the game starts. Next, they have Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Gurriel, Carlos Correa. I mean, they're just loaded one through seven. I mean, one through nine, I should say, because I got to also include Alvarez, who had a couple hits in game one in the World Series as well. So there's no break in their lineup. As far as the Washington Nationals go, they have Trey Turner. Everything starts with him. Adam Eaton, kind of a second leadoff guy. And we don't see too many true leadoff guys as we used to see in the years past. But third, they have Anthony Rendon. Yeah, Juan Soto. Howie Kendrick, who I mentioned was, uh, he's the NLCS MVP against the St. Louis Cardinals with four doubles and four RBIs. Then Ryan Zimmerman hit a solo home run that kind of got the Nationals going in game one against the Houston Astros, along with Victor Robles. I mean, they just loaded both teams, one through nine. Just It's, 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 it's a lot of trouble to get through these two lineups, one through nine for Washington and, and the Astros as well. So they have both have a similar mindset. They both have a similar lineup approach. Uh, they they don't they don't give up a bats. They're going to take every plate appearance as if it's the bottom of the ninth. They're not swinging away at any just, you know, pitch that's in the dirt. They're going to have that same mindset that we're going to battle whether it's 2-0, 0-2, whether it's 0 outs or 2 outs. Houston and Washington, they just have that grinded out mindset when uh, throughout every game. As a matter of fact, they showed a stat the other night on Fox. Washington Nationals, they've scored 49% of their runs in the postseason have come with two outs. So when it's two outs, the Nationals are still looking to put up runs on the board, and 49% of their runs in the postseason have come with those two outs. Another area where these two teams start in rotation. They have impeccable, I mean, their, their rotation with the Nationals have Scherzer, they have Strasburg, they have Patrick Corbin. They have Annabelle Sanchez, who nearly threw a no-hitter in Game 1 in the NLCS against the Cardinals. And the Astros have Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, and Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole wasn't really himself in Game 1. He gave up five runs, which was unlike Garrett Cole that we've seen this year. But who knows, maybe he'll get another opportunity to to redeem himself in this series. So those are some of the similarities that the two teams have. And, I mean, if you look at it on paper – I know most people are picking the Astros to win. The Astros are heavily favored to win this series, and they're actually the highest favorite since 2007 when the Rockies lost to the Boston Red Sox, who the Red Sox were favored. They won that World Series. So we'll see if that actually plays out the same way for Houston and Washington. But, you know, whenever there is a championship series or I'm kind of debating who do I think will win a game or win a series, I like to maybe write it down on paper and kind of compare the matchup so I did that with Washington and Houston and compared the two by positions so catcher to catcher first base to first base center fielder to center fielder I left pitching out of it so I just did the other eight positions that are on the baseball diamond and when I did that I actually gave the edge to the Washington Nationals it was four to three. I know there's eight positions I mentioned, but I gave the Nationals the edge four to three because the one I couldn't decide on was third base. And so I really gave that a push. It was Alex Bregman and then Anthony Rendon. I couldn't, I like both of those guys. They're two of the best in the game. So I couldn't really decide who I thought was better there or who I would rather have if I wasn't building my team. But I did give the Nationals an edge on that four to three uh, kind of scenario that I, if I was making a team between Houston and Washington, I would take for the national starters as opposed to the Houston Astros. So those are some of the similarities and that I've kind of figured out and discussed as, as I watched the two teams throughout the season and the postseason as well. Now, some of the differences so starting off, the Washington Nationals are amazing on the base running uh, aspect of the game. They're very aggressive. They stole 116 stolen bases this year. And we're only caught 29 times. That was an 80% success rate. So when the Nationals get on base, they're looking to steal second. They're looking to take third when they get the opportunity. They have Trey Turner, who's blazing fast, one of the fastest players in the game. I think he even mentioned last year that at some point he wants to try to steal 90 bags in the, in, in one season. And Adam Eaton's another guy. He bats second. He, he stole 15 this year. Juan Soto stole a base in game one against the Astros. This is uh, a huge part of their team as they try to put pressure on the opposing pitcher. So like I mentioned, they stole 116 times were only caught 29 times. If you put that in perspective, the Houston Astros only had 67 stolen bases. So it's 116 to 67. And the Astros were caught twenty-seven times in those uh, in those attempts, or which is only for seventy-one percent success rate. So there's contrasting styles with the way that they approach the game. Now the Astros did still they will steal a base when they have to. We've seen Springer, Springer take a base, take third in game one. We've seen Altuve take second as well. So the Astros may not be a true base running team, but they make up for it in other ways at the plate. When they're in the box, they don't strike out much. I mean, they're actually the first team, the only team, I should say, the only team in MLB history to have the fewest hitting strikeouts and the most pitching strikeouts. So think about it. They're striking out your guys, but you can't strike out their guys. And when they're at the plate, they're they're battling. I mean, they're not they usually don't uh, swing at many first pitches. I mean, Altuve was swinging some Springer was swinging some first pitches as well to kind of jump on a first pitch fastball. But really what they do is they like to make the opposing pitcher get them out, like earn that out. I mean, Max Scherzer had 112 pitches through five innings, and you would think if he only lasted five innings that the, the Astros would win that game, but, you know, that the Nationals had some timely hitting and with, with Soto and Zimmerman it kind of just propelled them to the victory in game one. So, you know, what I'm thinking about the base running, actually the Nationals have the advantage, but the Astros make up for it in other ways another part where the two teams kind of differentiate the Astros have a great advantage in the bullpen AJ Hinch has a plethora of options when it comes to the bullpen they have Joe Smith, Ro- Roberto Osuna, Will Harris, Ron Presley, Josh James and he has no fear in going to his bullpen he has designated innings where he usually uh, innings and situations where he'll use a certain pitcher Dave Martinez does not have that same confidence in his Nationals bullpen. The Nationals were one of the worst teams in the bullpen the entire year. And it's kind of carried over into this postseason because Martinez doesn't trust what he's seen throughout the regular season. So now he's used Patrick Corbin. We've seen him. Patrick Corbin is one of their starters. They given they gave him, I think it was $140 million in the offseason. They've used him in the bullpen. They've used Scherzer in the bullpen. They've, they have used Steven Strasburg in the bullpen to get to this point where they are now in the World Series. And there's about three guys that Dave Martinez trusts, like re, true bullpen guys, and those guys will be Tanner Rainey, Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle, and we've seen each one of those guys pitch in game one. So, those are the two ways that, as far as these, these teams are, they, they're different. They differ in base running, they differ in bullpen, and we talk about postseason baseball. It's about great pitching and timely hitting. The bullpen could play a huge factor in. Who did, who wins the series, whether it's the Astros or the Nationals? I predicted the Astros to win in six, but I promise you, I would not be surprised if the Nationals won in six. And when I say six, I'm thinking it's a, it's going to a minimum of six games. I don't think it'll be a sweep. I don't believe uh, any team will win in five. I believe it'll at least go to a minimum of six games, maybe even seven. But I do have Houston, and even though they lost game one, I'm still rolling with them to, to win this series in six. When we return, we're going to get into some NBA basketball. It's been this tip-off week and you know, it's been a lot of anticipation for this regular season. So, you guys stay tuned right where you are. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Sweet Spot. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. I'm your host, Corey Bradley. It's time to dive into some NBA basketball. It's been one of the most uh, exciting off-seasons that we've seen, and probably ever, because we've seen a lot of big names, all-stars, household names, It's kind of change addresses. You know, we have new faces in new places. Jimmy Butler's with the Miami Heat, Russell Westbrook's with the Houston Rockets. You have Kyrie and Kevin Durant are now in Brooklyn. Brook, uh, yep, D'Angelo Rus- Russell with the Golden State Warriors, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers, Anthony Davis with the Lakers. I mean, there's been so much change this offseason, and, and I believe it's probably one of the most anticipated regular seasons that we've had in a long time. So when I'm thinking about all the teams who've made moves, the upgrades and Maybe some downgrades. I mean, everybody can't improve. Some some teams uh, won't be the same as they were last year with the moves they made in the offseason. We always think about the Western Conference teams, how deep that conference is, who's going to make the playoffs, who's not, who are, are the true contenders. You know, the Eastern Conference, gets; they don't get the same love, and, and rightly so. I know it's not as deep as the Western Conference is, but we're going to actually lead off with the Eastern Conference teams. I'm going to give you my top three teams in the Eastern Conference, and we'll get to the Western Conference later. The number three team, in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference is the Philadelphia 76ers. They have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, they acquired Josh Richardson in the trade for Miami, they have Tobias Harris, who they resigned, and then they also signed Al Horford from the Boston Celtics. This is, uh, I think, it's a very talented starting lineup. They have some some key guys off the bench, and Mike Scott, Zaire Smith. They drafted Matisse Thybul from Washington, who I like a lot defensively. He led the nation in steals and blocks last year. Uh, so I think they're, they've they've had some improvements, but I think what they've what they're lacking most, and the reason why I have them number three and number two. Is shooting. JJ Reddick recently signed with the Pelicans. Two years ago, Marco Bellanelli signed with the Spurs. Urson Ilyasova signed with the Bucks. They haven't been the same since they lost Bellanelli and Ilyasova. So now that they lost Reddick from last year's team, I really don't know how it's going to carry over as far as more wins or getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and uh, possibly uh, a chance in the NBA Finals because today's NBA game. It's about spacing. It's about shooting threes and spreading the defense out. So when you have multiple bigs and Simmons and and Embiid and Al Horford, I just don't know how it's going to play out. How is this going to fit? How is this going to work? I really don't think that they've improved from last year, but I do have them at number three just because of their talent alone. But I don't really – I couldn't put them in one or two and justify that lack of shooting. Number two – the number two team is the Boston Celtics. Boston, you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who just signed a huge contract extension, Kimba Walker, who they signed from the Charlotte Hornets. They have Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, and I think they have Ennis Cantor is going to be the starting center, who they signed in the offseason as well. They lost Kyrie Irving, one of the best players in the league, superstar, but I actually think that's going to be one of those addition by subtraction situations because, Although Kyrie is amazing in what he does, it took away from what Tatum and Brown as young guys coming into the league, finding their niche, finding their role in the team. Even Gordon Hayward, who's new to Boston. He's not new, new to the NBA, but he's new to the Boston Celtics. I think it was just tough. Everybody trying to figure out what their role is and still deferring to Kyrie with him being the superstar and the NBA champion that he is. So I believe they'll, they'll, they're will they'll, the number two team. I went back and forth with them in the 76ers. I wasn't quite sure who I felt uh, would be uh, the better team. But I gave Boston a slight edge just because I think defensively and their ability to, to play small ball will help them against different situations. Now, I mentioned small ball, and they kind of really have to play small ball at all times because this is the reason why I have the number two and not number one is because of their lack of front court size. They lost Aaron Baines, they lost Marcus Morris, and they lost Al Horford, who I mentioned, signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, when you're playing in the NBA, every team you face is different. So you have to be versatile. You can play small at times. Can you play big at times? Can you mix it up and keep the opposing team uh, kind of off balance in a way? So to me that's that's my concern with Boston. I don't know where that size is going to come from cuz they don't have it currently on their roster. Now they can make some moves throughout the season if that becomes an issue for them. But this is why I have the number 2 instead of number 1 is because of that lack of front court size. The number one team, you probably guessed it by now, is, in my opinion, is the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, everything starts with the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Everything goes through him. They have Chris Middleton. They sign Will C. Matthews, who will be in their starting lineup at the two guard, Eric Bledsoe. And then their centers are Robin Lopez and Brooke Lopez. They have the two brothers uh, joining forces going back to, to the Stanford Cardinal days in college. The Bucks, I feel like, are the most complete team in the East. Off the bench, they have George Hill and Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connington, DJ Wilson. I mean, I like what the Bucks have. Urson Ilyasova, who I mentioned, uh, the Sixers are missing sorely in their shooting game. I think the Bucks. the question for them is really just getting to that next level. They have one of the best coaches in the league, Mike Budenholzer, who came from the San Antonio Spurs and the Greg Popovich coaching tree. I mean, he's done an excellent job since he's been with the Bucks. The question is, can they get to that next level? Can they get past the Conference Finals? Last year they lost to the eventual champions, the Toronto Raptors, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Can they get over that hump and get to – competing for a championship in the in the NBA finals this year. I don't know if it'll be done. I uh, the way that uh Giannis kind of handled that post-game interview last year when they lost to the Raptors and they were eliminated. Uh, he got up and left abruptly from the table. Like it's just just wasn't professional. So I just wonder where he is men- mentally because I mean you're professional. If you win a game, you're not leaving the press conference prematurely. You stand there and answer all the questions with a smile on your face. So you should had that same kind of professionalism when you're after a tough loss even if it did end your season still sit there tough sit there like a man sit there like a grown adult and just take it uh, as it was given to you so that's my my top 3 from the Eastern Conference I have 3 the Philadelphia 76ers number 2 Boston Celtics number 1 is the Milwaukee Bucks now as far as the Western Conference goes the Western Conference, like I said, we, we talk about how deep the teams are and how it's going to be a battle for each playoff spot, through uh, one through eight. The number three team, and I wanted to go with the Utah Jazz, with them acquiring Mike Conley and, and Bojan Bogdanovic. I was like, man, I, I feel like, really like what Utah's doing. But I just couldn't give them that top three designation yet. So the number three team I have is the Los Angeles Lakers. And we know everything goes to LeBron. LeBron James is the, one of the best players to ever play the game. He's probably the best all-around player that we've ever seen. Uh, so everything goes through him. But he, he missed a lot of time last year with his growing injury that he suffered on Christmas Day against the Golden State Warriors. So, you know, he he was the first pick in the 03 draft. So I'm wondering now, with all the mileage on his body, you know, are those treads on those tires, are they starting to uh, wear out? Is his body starting to show signs of, of giving up on him? You know, we hope, we, we'd never hope for anybody to get hurt. But these are kind of kind of signs that we're wondering now as he's getting up in age and out of all the games that he's played deep into the playoffs, year in, year out, NBA Finals, I think it was, what, eight straight years in the NBA Finals. So this is uh, something to watch with LeBron as well. But Kyle Kuzma, you know, he they have him, Anthony Davis. You have they signed Quinn Cook from the Warriors, Danny Green, who – Had an outstanding game one against the Clippers the other night. Uh, That's what he does. He shoots the three and plays great defense. So the Lakers will be happy with with his signing as well. The Lakers have Rajon Rondo. I mean, they have a lot of new pieces. I believe uh, one of the commentators the other day said they signed nine new players. So they have nine new players and a new coaching staff and Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out as far as finding that right chemistry, finding the right rotation through different situations each game. Now, the reason why I have them number three as opposed to number two or number one is their durability concerns. Like I mentioned, LeBron— I don't think it'll be an issue, but it's something to keep a, a close eye on. Kyle Kuzma is currently out right now. I don't, but he's hasn't really dealt with too many injuries since he's been in the league. He's been a stud ever since uh, he entered the, the draft a couple of years ago. But my main concern is with Anthony Davis. They acquired him in the trade from the Pelicans, where the, the Pelicans acquired Josh Hart. Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and uh, just several draft picks for years to come. But it all starts with Anthony Davis. Can he stay healthy? He was the number one pick in the 2012 NBA draft, so this is his eighth season. But his previous seven seasons, he played more than 70 games only twice. I'll repeat that. Through his first seven seasons, he's played more than 70 games twice. This is a big man. He's like 6'10", 6'11". So whenever there's a, a big man who has injuries and injuries and injuries, that usually follows them throughout the rest of their career. Uh, it's something that they're hard to overcome. So Anthony Davis, this is kind of depends on the make or break for the Los Angeles Lakers, starts and ends with his ability to stay healthy. Can he maintain that durability throughout this year? The number two team for me is the Denver Nuggets. I watched the Denver Nuggets firsthand a lot in the postseason last year, as uh, they played my San Antonio Spurs in round one. Spurs lost to them in in seven games in Denver, and Denver is super talented. This is a a group of guys that's been together for a few years now, so you can really it shows in their chemistry and the way they play well together. You know, they have Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, Will Barton, who I'm a huge fan of ever since his days in Memphis. Gary Harris and then they have Jamal Murray from Kentucky and then on the bench their bench is is super strong as well like it's like they don't even drop off when Monte Morris comes into the game and Malik Beasley they have Michael Porter Jr. who appears to be healthy this year who missed all of his rookie season last year with a back injury Jeremy Grant they acquired from the Oklahoma City Thunder I like him I feel like that was a huge pickup that they gave a first round pick for but Grant is a high energy guy very athletic I think he'll fit in perfectly with what Denver wants to do uh, on their team and as they uh, look to improve on last year's team as well. Now, Mike Malone is their head coach, one of the better coaches in the league, uh, very good at making adjustments on the fly. Now, he's been with – this is his fifth season with the Denver Nuggets. His previous four seasons, he's improved his win total from each year. And last year they finished 54-28. and 28. I think this year they'll actually – Reach closer to 60. I don't. I don't think they'll get 60, but I'm looking at more. May of maybe 57, 58. But that team there, uh, they're they're just loaded. It was tough watching my Spurs go down to them and just seeing how well executed, a well-oiled machine the Denver Nuggets, uh, you know, are, are. Just the way they play ball offensively and defensively the way they communicate on the floor. Now the reason I have them number two as opposed to number one is can they meet those expectations that they've improved year in and year out in the win total, but they haven't been to the conference finals since 2009. So that's 10 years we're talking about where they have not made it that far into the playoffs. And I think anything less than the conference finals this year would probably upset some fans because I'm sure they have high expectations with their Denver Nugget team, and especially the way the Denver Broncos are playing this year. They're looking for a team to get behind. The way the Colorado Rockies – uh, played this year and finished as one of the worst teams in the National League. The, the fans in Denver are looking for something to cheer for. So they're hoping their Nuggets are ready to take that next league. The number one team, the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm, I'm sure you, everybody else has uh, the Clippers, their number one team in the West Conference as well. As they were able to sign Kawhi Leonard, they traded for Paul George. Um, even Signing Jamaico Green and, and Mo Harkless, I feel like those are some of the names that may get lost in the shuffle because they're not big names, but I think they'll they'll fit in perfectly with what Doc Rivers wants to do and what the Clippers are about. The Clippers are a very tough defensively mindly team. They're very energetic, high-effort guys with Montrez Harrell and you know, Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly. I mean, I think about that defense with Beverly, George, Kawhi Leonard, and Montrez Harrell. That may be the best defensive group that we'll see in the NBA this year. So the Clippers are going to be a force to reckon with. Doc Rivers is one of the best coaches in the NBA. We've seen him do it in Boston. Now we're seeing him do it with the Clippers. And the Clippers won 48 games last year. Like I said, this is without Kawhi and Paul George. Kawhi, they signing him. He's the best two-way player in the game. Paul George is probably number two right behind him. I know there could be some – Debate with Clay Thompson in there as well, but the Clippers—I don't see any concerns with them. Uh, the key is just really them finding that that chemistry, finding that gel. Uh, as they practice and play more, you feel more comfortable and you understand each other's tendencies as teammates go. So, I think the Clippers are the team to beat—not just in the Western Conference, but in the entire NBA. It'll be fun to watch and see how this season unfolds. Who wins? Who doesn't? Who? exceeds expectation who fails to meet those expectations as well so you guys i'm excited for a new nba season i'm glad it's here uh, but you know what it's still football season and we actually have three games on tap this weekend that I'm, I'm sure the most of the nation will be watching and especially one in particular down down here in the south that we'll be keeping uh, close tabs on so you guys stay tuned don't go anywhere we'll be right back here on the sweet spot Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. It's college football time. We have a few games on hand this weekend that uh, between highly ranked teams as a match up this weekend, I'm glad to uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to see most of them as, you know, sometimes your schedule gets in the way. But I'm excited nonetheless whether I watch them or not. But uh, first of all, the game that 11 o'clock AM game is the Wisconsin Badgers. They take on... Ohio State in Columbus, Wisconsin's coming off a huge, disappointing, demoralizing loss to the hands of the fighting Illini in Illinois. And off the top, just first, great, great job, Lovey Smith. You got to give hats off to him and what he's building there in Illinois. I mean, anytime you have a new coach, you have to be patient with that coach. Allow him to get his style of recruits in that fit his system the best. Allow him to change the culture, especially if it's been a losing culture. Give him time to help uh, kind of motivate the guys and help them believe that they can win games and beat some of the teams that they lost to uh, in previous seasons. So hands off, hats off, like I said, to Lovey Smith. But Wisconsin, they're one of the better defensive teams in the country. They've already pitched four shutouts this year. But And people will say they lost to Illinois because, oh, it's a trap game. They're looking ahead to, to Ohio State. Be that as it may. They st- you still have to focus on the game at hand on that day. Anybody can lose on any given day, especially if you're not focused or uh, have full attention on your opponent. And, you know, sometimes we do that in life where we're looking ahead the next week and got to do this and got to do that. I think that's something we have to be careful and just focus on the day. Focus on what's ahead of you. Address We'll address tomorrow when tomorrow comes, but focus on what's a, on, on what's now. Stay in the now. Stay in the moment. And if the Badgers did overlook uh, the the fight in the lineup, then that's on them. They have an even tougher task this week against the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes have Justin Fields and Chase Young. They have a super talented team. Ryan Day has picked up exactly where Urban Meyer uh, left off. So I think the Buckeyes being at home, they've – Pretty much, just the way they beat teams here is this year has been like video game numbers. The closest margin of victory has been 24 points when they beat Michigan State. So everybody that Ohio State has played, they've just destroyed uh, early and often. And so I really, I know, I know we talk about you know Wisconsin's defense, how good they are. I just don't know if they'll have enough to beat Ohio State and Columbus on an 11 o'clock kickoff this weekend. So I got the, I have the Buckeyes winning that one. The next game I'll be keeping close tabs on is Notre Dame at Michigan. Michigan, you know, losing to Penn State, they've struggled offensively this year. I like Jim Harbaugh, but I, what I've been trying to learn is how to pick pick teams with my head and not my heart. Harbaugh's a very good coach. He wants to run the ball and play defense, and I like that style of play. I'm old school, but if you can't score points in football, then you're going to lose games more times than not. You have to be able to put the ball in the end zone. I mean, you look at it in baseball, you can get away with it in baseball because if you have great pitching, you know what you do. You, you your, your approach at the plate is different. You get on base, you steal a base, you move them over, you play small ball because if you have great pitching, you can find a way to manufacture runs. In basketball, if a team is very good defensively but they struggle offensively, you know what they do? They, they they hound you on the on on off de- on defensively. They rebound the glass. They're very good steals, very good in blocks, and they create turnovers that transition into points offensively. We've seen Virginia Cavaliers who won the national championship under Tony Bennett last year. They've been one of the better defensive teams, and uh, in, in over the past five six years, ever since Bennett came over from Washington State to Virginia I mean they may not score a lot of points some games they win 52 to 43 and and, you know people joke well you can't win a national championship with not being able to score points now they did have a little more offense last year uh, but they were able it's still based on their defense and how good their defensive is so when I'm talking about Michigan they're good defensively, but can they score points? They struggled offensively all year with Shea Patterson, and I don't know if it'll be enough against Notre Dame with Ann Book and those guys coming into town. I know they'll be hungry and looking to t- steal a victory in in Ann Harbor, uh, in the Big House this Saturday. And I think they'll, I think the Fighting Irish should get it done. I don't know how, how many points, but I do believe Notre Dame will take that one as well. Now the biggest game that we have this Saturday is, of course, is Auburn and LSU. Auburn travels to Death Valley, a place that they have not won since 1999. That's a long time. They have not beaten the Tigers of LSU in Baton Rouge since 99. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if it's going to happen this year. Auburn may be waiting two more years to get it, uh, to to try to win a a game in Baton Rouge in Death Valley against the LSU Tigers. LSU is just on a whole nother level this year. Offensively, um, you know, Joe Burrow has had a breakout season. He's already set the single season school record with 29 passing touchdowns already. And we're just halfway through the season. I mean, he has great receivers and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And, you know, a couple things we know when it comes to LSU football, they're going to have great receivers. And they're going to have a great secondary as well. And that's still the case this year as they have Derek Stingley Jr., one of the top corners coming out of high school. They have Christian Fulton on the other side. Grant Delpit, one of the best safeties in the country. All these guys will probably be first-round picks whenever they decide to enter the NFL draft. Now, with Auburn, I do believe that Kevin Steele will have his defense ready. I mean, that's one of the better defenses in the country. We know the defense is going to show up, and I believe they're going to uh, ball out as well, I mean, this Saturday in Baton Rouge. But as long as Gus has been a part of the Auburn family, so to speak, the question has always been around his offense. Can he, can he get the ball moving? Can he? the offense stay on the field? Can they keep the, the chains moving? Can they get six instead of three? I mean, when you're playing a team like LSU, you can't settle for field goals and expect to win. When we we have a you, know, you 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 have that mindset that touchdowns will always keep you in the game. They'll always uh, get you over that hump, regardless of who you playing. But when you have field goals, whether it's a team that's better than you uh, or a team that's that's uh, inferior to you, you are gonna it's gonna be tough to get a victory in those kind of uh, matchups. So the question is, can can Auburn keep it going? Can I'm with with Booby. Uh, Whitlow being out, you have Harold Joiner and Sean Shiver and Cam Martin. You have, I know Sean Shiver is one of my my cousin's dress and is one of his favorites. Like he's been raving about him over the last year, and he's super quick, super fast. But Auburn has to run the ball first. Everything starts with running the ball. Play action off of that. You have a true freshman in Bo Nix, who is, I mean, think about this is his first year as a collegiate quarterback. He's already had to play Oregon. It was in a neutral site, but he still had the first game was against Oregon. He's traveled to Kyle Field, where they beat Texas. And traveled to the swamp where so far their only loss has come against the Gators in the swamp. And I had someone tell me that they went to the game and they're a Florida Gator fan. They was just talking about how loud it was at the game. And that was in Florida. So now they're playing LSU Death Valley, which is, in my opinion, a tougher place to play place to play, I should say. Now, uh, they do play it at 2.30, so it's not a night game. So, I, I think that bodes well for Auburn that it's in the day as opposed to night, but regardless of the time of the day where they play playing in Death Valley, those fans in LSU will have that stadium rocking. And so, I, I think LSU will come out with the win. I don't know how, uh, I don't, I think it'll be close game, especially in the first half, but i Probably got LSU winning by 10, 13 points. I think it's going to be a great battle, though, between the two schools as Auburn goes to LSU and takes on the Tigers in Baton Rouge this Saturday at 2.30. When we come back, it's time for our Triple C part of the segment. Uh, So you guys, don't go anywhere. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back here on The Sweet Spot. Welcome back to The Sweet Spot. This is uh, one of my favorite segments in the show is what I call Triple C. It stands for Quarious Clothes and Comments and just some words of encouragement, inspiration, uh, words of wisdom, maybe something that God spoke to me that I can share with you all that maybe reaches your heart as well. And so when I think about just How we approach our everyday lives. Sometimes we get we get uh, get ahead of ourselves. We get ahead of God. So something we have to slow it down and just approach life one day at a time. Approach it one day at a time. It's similar to eating a pizza. We don't eat a pizza all at once. We don't eat it as a whole. We grab it slice by slice, and that's how we have to really approach what we do on a daily basis. Focus on today. Don't don't get too far too far ahead of yourself wondering about tomorrow and uh, next week and the kids got to be here I got this project to do I have this deadline to meet take it one day at a time slice by slice you finish one slice you move on to the next we finish today then we'll focus on tomorrow and what I want to read to you from this Matthew 634 it's the new international version and it reads therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble of its own. When we're constantly thinking about tomorrow and what things have to be done next week and just constantly looking into the future, what we're doing is bringing unnecessary stress, unnecessary tension in our lives. I mean, life is already hard as it is. So focus on what you have to focus on that day and we'll attack tomorrow when it comes. And remember, whether it's with me or it's with God, Always know that you're loved in the sweet spot. Stay in the sweet spot on the Joy FM Sports Facebook page. This has been a presentation of the Joy FM Sports. It's more than a game.